Hi loves, I had thought about waiting until my traditional episode release day of Monday, but it's a full moon, it's the 27th day of the month. Those of you who heard my interview with Michelle, the numerologist, you know that 27 is possibly my favorite number of all time, so let's just do this. Now, for my Patreon supporters, I'm excited to let you know I have a few treats for you this time around. As my interview with today's guest was wrapping up, I captured some extra conversation at the end about spirit animals and what Megan sees when she sees someone's aura. Also, today's guest had shared with me a dream, and so with her permission, I also offer that dream interpretation as a bonus. I invite you to go to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Aprilific to see if there's anything there that appeals to you. Here we go. Thanks for joining me in Sheffy's Sandbox. I'm April Dawn Scheffler, and I invite you to play with me and my guest today, Megan McHugh. Welcome, Megan. Hey, how are you, April? I'm doing good. I'm really excited about this conversation. It's going to be really cool. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Me too. Well, in this first segment, we pop into a virtual coffee house before hitting the beach. And being the benevolent host that I am, your order's on me. So what order do you give the barista? All right. I ask for a seltzer. <laughs> Unless I'm required to have caffeine, but I'm fully caffeinated at this point, and I just love a seltzer. Well, now that you have your refreshing beverage, let's dive right in. This segment I've renamed, I think I know you from somewhere. So sometimes living one's purpose and going through this human experience can look like playing small, but other times it can look like playing big. In your spotlight moments, Megan, have there been any claims to fame, times that our listeners may have seen you or your work? I, I don't think so, if I'm, if I'm understanding the question correctly. Um, are we talking about like any time-space continuum, like in a different lifetime? Was I a different kind of soul and maybe had some type of fame? I don't think that's the case. <laughs> I love where that's going. Yes, let's definitely include that. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I really don't <laughs> think so. But I will say I have a friend who thinks that she was Cleopatra, and I think that's really fascinating. I'm like, wow, can you tell me more and or can you send me a Sphinx cat? Because I think they're, they're really cool. So, um, but I don't think I personally would have anything that people would remind, you know, know from a different lifetime. I get a lot, though, that I'm an old soul. Um, like I might meet somebody and nine times out of 10, they're like, you look familiar or do I know you from somewhere or have we talked before? And, um, I mean, even like I'll be driving and people will just wave at me and I'm like, ha, and I wave back. It's not like they're upset that I'm in their lane or something. They're just, Hey, I just, I don't know. Maybe I just have like a recognizable face or something, but. So there's no one fingered waves. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah, the one-fingered salute, you know, maybe every so often here or there on the toll roads, but no, I don't think so. Uh, so 
Um, I don't know. I think that's it. I, I, I don't think so. Or in this lifetime, you know, I've, I've kind of flown under the radar so far. You know, I think I'm in this space of cocoon and uh, going to emerge as the butterfly or the, the moth, as it were. Um, so we'll see what all kind of shakes out in the next couple of years. But uh, just been really trying to polish my craft or, or my skills and be as helpful to those about me as possible. Well, guests are asked to choose a word or phrase that they would like to hear used more often in everyday conversation, something that doesn't get enough play or enough airtime. And the prior guest, uh, which you know, Michelle, Michelle was the prior guest. Yes. No, I do know her. <laughs> I saw that you posted your podcast with her. And yes. since I thought I was next, I was like, you know, I can't listen to it because then I'm going to be cheating for this, for this segment. And so I opted not to listen and I really want to learn from her. I love that she does numerology and I cannot wait to listen to that podcast that you had with her. Um, and I actually kind of wanted to hire her to be like, Hey, when is, what number would be good for this or that? I think she would just be so great. Anyway, what word did she choose? And I can't wait. She chose spectacular. Oh, that's fun. How spectacular. Okay. That is exciting. Okay. I think I can do that. Yeah. So you are tasked to try to somehow fit that into our conversation today. You right. also get to choose a word for the next guest to dance with. And it could be a peculiar word that you find funny or that resonates with you. So what are you laying down for them to pick up? All right. I gave this some thought and I, my, my word is joy or joyful some joy related and my justification is that i just feel that we as a society could be more joyful and that would just bring such a high resonance um you know it's a higher vibration of living and something that i've been asking myself recently is how can i bring even just one percent more joy into my day um, 5% more joy into my day. How could I make this day more joyful? So one way to do that is just use the word. Good luck to the next person. All right, well, let's get started with how you and I crossed paths. Uh, so I had joined the January uh, Soul Hypnosis Workshop uh, where I wanted to be just a client. And so for the eight sessions in the month of January, I was paired up with someone different each time and uh, was hypnotized. And the very first pairing, uh, that first class, I got paired up with you, Miss Megan. <laughs> I know, I remember that. I, I remember because it was the first time you had ever been hypnotized. Is that correct? So I had, it, it was the first time I had done a one-on-one -on -one session. So I had done uh, some group uh, sessions before um, that were pretty interesting. But yeah, this was the first time that I was on a one-on-one -on -one guided uh, hypnosis session. So yeah, so I had come to the session with my own expectations as to what that would look like or possibly be. Um, I brought, I'm not gonna lie, I brought some pretty high expectations. <laughs> I, 
I wanted to see, you know, butterflies and experience past lifetimes and just be flooded with joy. But the thing is, is when I sat down, um, there was, there were kids outside playing basketball and I could just kept hearing the k-tunk, k-tunk, k-tunk of the basketball and like the the dogs kept coming in and I could hear the click clack of their nails against the, the floor. And I just felt so highly strung. It was like, <laughs> this is not, I don't think it's going to work. And maybe I'm not the only one, but traditionally, I think I have brought the baggage to situations and experiences where I'm going to be the one person that it's not going to work for, right? I'm going to be that person that won't be able to be hypnotized or that um, there's just something wrong with me or dysfunctional that it's just not going to work. And so I had all these worries and hopes at the same time just kind of jumbled around. One of the cool things about this being a workshop is there is that understanding whenever we do those breakout rooms in Zoom that you are able as a practitioner to call in the, the facilitator, Courtney, from the main room and she can pop in and, and give you uh, some, some helpful advice if things kind of have a, you know, come across a hiccup of some sort. And you actually had to take advantage of that with me. <laughs> I Can know. you tell the listeners what happened? I know. I thought that was so fascinating. So um, I just remember when you, we were, you know, partnered up and it was just very clear, you know, you're new to hypnosis and you did say that you had some, is it all right if I kind of talk about what we Yeah, I'm completely okay. free. You can talk about anything. And if by chance we say something that I'm like, eh, I don't, maybe I don't want that to be you know, known, then I can just go back and edit it out, but we're, we're good. Okay, perfect. Cause when we first started working together, you had talked about maybe, um, you know, a troubled childhood or just that there was a lot of baggage. Um, and I found that so fascinating, the words that you used, you even used the word block. Um, I'm not sure if you remember that or not, but I believe you used the word block, go back. I would listen to it. And, um, I, and now, as you know, now I can see energy and I can hear it. And as we started doing the induction to the hypnosis, I saw a very large square go in between you and I, it was like a kind of a force field in front of your body. And it was a literal block to hypnosis and all the sounds were just becoming agitating. And it was very clear. We weren't comfortable going anywhere. And as a facilitator, as I continue to learn hypnosis and any type of modality, I am simply a conduit for your own truth. I believe in the inherent capacity of any client to heal themselves. I am simply a facilitator of what is present for them. And so what we ended up doing is uh, we took a break. You know, I just, you're like, you know, I need some headphones. And, you know, you went over to get some headphones and I just called in Courtney. I was like, why not? You know, like, why not take advantage of Courtney who's done that, you know, over a thousand hypnosis, successful hypnosis sessions and so I just brought her in and just said, hey, we're just having some trouble, you know, I didn't say addressing this block that I see, but we're having some trouble getting through the induction. And um, 
you know, and, and Courtney just kind of gave some helpful suggestions and left. And then throughout the rest of the session, literally all we did was address the block. And what I believe is once we become willing to acknowledge what is present, allowing it to be present just as it is, it will change. It will evaporate or it, something happens. It will just change. That's the nature. The only thing constant is change, right? Mm -hmm. So by the acknowledging what is present, we can start to heal or grow or let it change. And so throughout the session, I know it was hard. I, I believe it was hard. I obviously am not in your shoes, but there was a lot of baggage that we might not be able to put words to, but the, that block started breaking up the edges started getting a little uh, fuzzy and almost looked like um, like the cracking of a window shell. It started kind of cracking. And I was, I, and I knew, I knew it was starting to go, but it was going to be a rough few days for you. And so that's why after our session, I checked in with you a few times, I think, but at least twice or I think three, two or three times over that next week, just checking in on you. Just, hey, how is it going? Because in my experience, when I'm looking at big things to heal over, there can be some residual residuals about it. So that's what I remember from our session together and how we first met. I know you were a little tentative about continuing forward with the rest of the class, but I really felt that the universe put us together because I am very familiar and comfortable working with big blocks, capital B's, you know, and uh, helping people break through those in their own authentic way. I'm just here to hold the space ultimately but uh, you were ready, you were ready. And I think, I mean, I hope, but you'll have to tell me what the rest of your month looked like for you working with other people. But I think maybe you became a little, um, I don't wanna say receptive to receiving hypnosis, but I, I do think, at least looking at you now, there's definitely no block. And I think it's just incredible. I have a certain amount of um, notoriety now. That, that was the only time that Courtney's been called into a session. <laughs> Which I, I totally am okay with that because um, for one thing, it made her feel helpful for, for once. She's, you know, in that main room by herself. Uh, and so she actually got to, you know, be useful and, and provide some helpful tips. I got the headphones, tried to do a reset, become, to try to block it because I have experienced experienced um, a history of misophonia where certain sound, I'm very sensitive to sounds and like um, certain patterns of sounds can just drive me up the wall. And so I was trying to do a reset and get in this spiritual place where it wouldn't bother me. <laughs> and so anyway, I later on with the other sessions, I ended up uh, trying a different tact, you know, I went into a different room of the house altogether away from the street. So, you know, I, the, the kids playing basketball in the cul-de-sac out up front wouldn't be, they wouldn't um, have to worry about the crazy woman storming out of the house. I'm trying to be spiritual. <laughs> they nearly, they had, they were a close call and they didn't even know it. <laughs> I was gonna stab that basketball. I think that's you so, played it. Sorry, I just think it's so fascinating, right? Because that's exactly what comes up for me. Generally, you know, my blocks to freedom, right, or allowance or acceptance is 
wanting to control my circumstances so that way they are acceptable mm-hmm. to me, whatever that happens to be. I'm also very sensitive to sound as well. And um, those types of sounds just really get to me, you know, they get under my skin. And the more I notice, oh, I'm agitated by something outside of my control, and I notice how much I'm trying to control it, that's where I can start getting that freedom. And I love when, that you were sitting with it literally uh, you were just allowing that basket the dog i was hearing it too right and oh. i could see it was just like almost like your eye almost wanted to start twitching you know one of those and i i relate to that you know and but it's one mm-hmm. you start realizing i'm actually powerless over my environment in this case and all i have to do is sit in awareness of my annoyance <laughs> and that's what we do to change and um i think it's amazing that you were embracing that you know, and then it became, okay, I would like to take some action to just kind of give myself a little bit more of a bubble. And it was perfect. It was like, okay, well, what can I change? What on my side of the street can I change? And uh, how can I make my house just a little bit cleaner? So I don't have to deal with the basketball or what have you, Um, maybe put the dog outside of the room or what, or what have you. And that was just really impressive to me. Um, Because once we start noticing, that, that, that difference between what is happening and my reaction to what is happening, that difference um, is the amount that we have to accept. That's, that's where our acceptance is, and that acceptance leads us to freedom. So I just thought that was really powerful what you were doing just in that hour. Like, like you said, I, I do so appreciate the fact that we were paired together because I think it was perfect because I'm not quite sure that anyone else would have um, – messaged me throughout the week to touch base uh but you did a lot of times i think uh we have you know meetups with people times where we connect and then we kind of forget about them throughout the rest of the week that was our time and now we're separate until next time but yeah you just brought that to a whole new level you asked for my phone number and, and then you texted me throughout the week and yeah, I didn't want to go back. I did not want to go back because as opposed to the butterflies and the angels and the whatever I was hoping to feel. When I, later on, I came to find out from some other classmates who have been doing this for a while, the first emotions that someone has to deal with in the uh, healing process are uh, grief and anger. And I just remember I took a screenshot of that or I tagged you and I'm like, did you see this, Megan? Because that's exactly what I dealt with in that first session. And you were so perfect for this because you uh, let me sit with the feelings of anger and grief. I think that, I think we did name those two things. And uh, to give listeners a little bit more of an idea as to what was happening, I, from what I recall, I, I, sh- I do need to go back and listen to it again, but at first it was just feelings. Um, I was feeling anger, probably because of the sounds and my inability to control because, yes, I'm trying to release the need <laughs> for control over everything. So um, I was just sitting there with that, and then what happened you were um, taking me through some uh, guided meditation. And what happened is that my anger did take a uh, symbolic form 
maybe you would be able to uh, put this into words better. So if you remember the session, let me know, because I just know that the whole idea of you bringing up the idea of a tea house, can you start from there? Right, sure. So what ended up happening in your session in particular, and what I did, and I felt comfortable doing it just based on having facilitated hundreds of meditation sessions with people over the past eight years, nine years or so, um, I uh, reverted back to doing an ancient meditation technique called yoga nidra. And what that technique entails is body sensing and awareness. And at some point, um, and, and that's what we did. If you remember, we, you know, I was just, Hey, just pay attention to what, what's going on in your body. You know, what sensations are present in your body. And this is, um, you know, but a very powerful technique. And so at some point and the way the modality works is, and why I reverted to it is it completely honors the client's point of view. And it really removes me altogether, which is hypnosis as well. But I just felt more comfortable in this setting to go to that modality in while, while on the highway with you, we kind of just took a turn, you know, it was just like, okay, let's take this exit and stay on the highway, but let's go this way because I'm comfortable navigating those lanes as it were, or that direction. And so at some point this block or this baggage became separate to you and it, was almost like a different entity, if I may use that word, and a different consciousness, a different part of you. And you became conscious of the separation of self, self being maybe your highest or most authentic, purest love space, if you will. And so what I did was I invited you into your own tea house. And this is just part of Yoga Nidra. This is one of the techniques. This is, this is one of those tools within the Yoga Nidra uh, family or, you know, school of thought. And so we just, I just asked you, Hey, where's your tea house? What does your tea house look like? Can you invite this entity to your tea house? And can you have a conversation with it? Every single time, every step of the way was all answers are perfectly acceptable. Yes, no, maybe. And I don't know. All four of these responses are always perfect because they are perfect for you and they are based in your own truth. I am not here to know your truth. I'm just here to help facilitate your own session. And so you said yes to all these questions. The one thing that's uh, eluding me at the moment is what form the anger took. Do you remember? I do. It was so fascinating. It was kind of like a genie in a way because it looked like Mr. Clean. Hi, my name is Natalie Rosenau, and I will be doing season two, episode... Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I come out at night without being called. I get lost in the day without getting stolen. What am I? Mommy, any guesses? Comes out at night. Without being called. Stars around at night with not without being called. But what's the other part? I get lost. I, I get lost in the day without being stolen. 
Stars. Yes. Hey. <laughs> Look at me. I'm so clever. Oh yes, you are so clever. And let's do one. Let's do another one because you did it. You did the other one. Okay. So, um, Kate's mother has three has three kids: Fire, Crackle, and Pop. No. <laughs> What? Listen to it. I'm scared to tell you it. She has three kids. Mm-hmm. And their names are Fire, Crackle, and... What? Kate's mother. Oh, God! <laughs> Kate. That's right. <laughs> Kate would be the third one. Because Kate. Yes. Mother. I get it. Very good. <laughs> Alright, is that it for Nonsense with Natalie? I'm sorry I have to let you go with all that nonsense. Because my nonsense is good and their nonsense is weird. Bye! Yeah, so Anger shows up as a red Mr. Clean, just the top half, you know, with his muscled arms and uh, kind of like just the a genie floating there. You know, you had me extend the invitation for him to have tea with me. And I'm like, I'll try. So I kind of, my mind, I, I, I post the question to him and he surprised me by saying, yes, he would stay for tea. And so, you know, he has his little bitty teacup and his big muscled arms. And okay, so you asked me, uh, so what is he doing? <laughs> so I look at him and I told you, he's just flexing his muscles. <laughs> and so I thought that was just really, really funny in a way. And then uh, I think you had me ask him what he was feeling or if there was something he wanted to say. And I just remember, I think that he said that he was scared. So it was this this opposing, you know, these opposites, you know, he's so strong, but at the same time he was saying that he was scared and he really didn't have a whole lot to share or to say. I just felt like he wanted to be acknowledged. And so that's what we did. That's what we did that first session. Uh, I was very thankful for you following up because yeah, I, I had this, self-judgment that I had put on the experience that I had somehow failed, that it wasn't, that it didn't work, that I wasn't able to be been hypnotized, hypnotized. And then I wasn't experiencing all these cool things that I had heard other people experience during a hypnosis session. And so, yeah, I felt like I failed and I didn't want to make myself vulnerable like that again. Like, cause in a way, hypnosis, you don't know what it is that the universe needs to bring to your attention that day. And so there's a sense of excitement, but yes, that there's also this sense of vulnerability. So yeah, just to show up again and maybe have another, you know, in air quotes, disastrous session uh, where I'm sitting with anger and other uncomfortable emotions like grief that 
you know, I felt like I've dealt with so often, you know, I'm done. I'm ready to be <laughs> done with it. I want, that's why I wanted to clear that out and experience something new. Um, because, uh, by default, you know, anger is, is, has been my mode of opera, <laughs> whatever you call it. Oh, I know. And you know what I just loved about that session was that you were willing, you were willing to let the anger be present and interact with it on a authentic uh, level. Uh, I think a lot of times by acting as the anger in our life, in our lives, just as we move around the day and hit that red light, oh, hit that red light, then your phone goes off 10 times and, oh, and, you, and you are the anger instead of observing the anger just as it is. This technique allows us to heal the anger altogether. So whatever wasn't fully processed at the time, I don't know what age that anger was present. I just know that you were really sitting with a lot of it, almost waves and waves and waves of it. And your willingness allowed it to be heard, right? In the tea house, you heard it. Thank you. Um, I believe that's that's generally what we do is say you can thank you know say thank you or or what, is there anything you'd like to say back to the anger before it moves on its way and um, I love that your genie was red that that usually signifies the ages zero to seven red is usually a color of the root chakra and that is ages you know prenatal to seven um, childhood early early childhood and so. Um, but also seeing red anger, right? And I just thought it was just so fascinating that you were willing. And in terms of bringing in Courtney, if I could say this, I think more people should use her, right? Because at the end of the day, she has a thousand plus plus experiences hip hypnotizing people with several modalities. I've only done at this point, you were my maybe 10th or 11th hypnosis client ever. And why wouldn't I yield to someone with more experience mm -hmm. than myself. At the end of the day, if I'm trying to give you, the client, the best experience possible, I want to use every single tool in my toolkit to make that happen. And far be it from me to be an authority after 11 hours, right? I, I think even uh, there's, a, there's a saying where 10,000 hours makes you an expert at something. 10,000 hours, that's conscious hours. And 11 hours in, I'm not even 1% to that, to, to that 10,000 hours. So I would think more people would wanna take advantage of what Courtney had to offer. And during your session, there was a perfect opportunity to bring me in and uh, not bring me in, bring her in to help us. So how great is that? She also came up when I was thinking about the anger she has said that before her spiritual hypnosis journey started, that she was a very angry person. And it's a little hard to believe, right? <laughs> I know. She is one of the happiest, most joyful people. And honestly, the reason why I ended up in the October meditation class um, and then the January one in October and September, I had just been going through a lot of personal um, difficulty and I really wanted to be more joyful. I keep using my own word, I promise. I'll, <laughs> I'll bring in uh, Michelle's word. 
but I wanted to bring, I wanted to be more happy ultimately. And Courtney has always been one of the most happy people I know. And so I signed up for the class just to be around her. You know, I just think people who are happy begets more happiness. And so that's why I ended up in the class in October, truly, just because she's so happy. What? And it is hard to believe that she came from such an angry place, but I do trust that that was her life experience. I don't think she would ever mislead us, you know. This past week, I actually heard her use like the word bully. Like she had thought at one point that she had, maybe someone had told her that she was a bully or whatever. And she had said several times that she had been a very angry person. And, uh, but I was like, wow, if she can, if she were angry and I totally believe what she, you know, she's saying that this is true. Um, if, but this person I'm seeing in front of me, like consistently is always seeing the best in people. She's always smiling. She's exudes love. Like, there's hope for me. <laughs> I just keep going back, but I appreciate you being willing to uh, reach out for her help and to encourage, you know, reach out with simple texts several times the following week and even after that to check in, see how I was doing, and to be a little cheerleader. I you know, like I said, I felt like it was a failure afterwards, but you were like, you, you did such great work that was uh really advanced stuff and <laughs> I it was though I, I don't want you to think that i was being uh disingenuous or unauthentic there it was uh when i started my own yoga nidra journey and started meditating regularly it took me well over six months to even really feel any sensations in my body without assistance from the practitioner and in addition, probably another two months, so probably eight months before I ever could take a emotion that strong, you know, anger being a very difficult emotion to feel uh, and allow, be in a space of allowance to feel it at all. Uh, and especially in a session where it's pu that's pure emotion, that is pure, you know, it's very uh, intense and you were feeling it, you know, if I were to have asked you on the 10 scale, what was it? You probably would have said a hundred, right? It was, it was a lot. Um, like when I say waves and waves of it, I could see it. It was waves and waves. like that, that wall, that block, it was, it was big. It was thick. And uh, so it took me probably eight months to have my first tea house experience where I could bring in anger and grief and sadness and start to identify and bring these into a tea house at all. Probably took me a couple of years to, to notice that my tea house could change depending on the circumstances. You know, it was just, it really was quite advanced. Uh, seeing as I've done hundreds of hours of these, I really feel I was so uh, fortunate and blessed to actually get to witness that amount of willingness to heal. And I do feel that because it was a block, it was a literal block. It was your block to hypnosis. And I'm so excited to see where the journey takes you. So hopefully you get to see a butterfly or other past lives before too long, if not already. It has, I've had some, some great experiences. Great being a judgment for sure that we put on things, but um, I've had things that were very impressive, uh, favorable ones that I would prefer. And then I've had some others that were a little bit more uh, subtle, 
not as, um, yeah, not, not a, just very subtle. And I think we need that too. Like it, uh, sometimes healing, if it takes place all at once, which I've wanted to happen before I've gone to a, uh, body an energy worker a body worker and and she was like um yeah i think that's all that um you know you're you're i'm getting the the information that your your body that's it's done for today you know that's all at once and i'm like but i i want to be i want it to be like complete i want to be like healed i want it to be taken care of all in one session i want to get my money's worth <laughs> you know and she was like, well, your, uh, your mind, you have a mental mind. And then she's like, I like to think of it as your body having its own mind. And it's telling me that it, it can't, you know, it's done for today. It's not, it can't handle, it can be traumatic, too much healing happening at one time sometimes. And so I was disappointed. I mean, I get it logic, you know, what she was saying, but at the same time, I was, I just wanted it to be done. <laughs> right. And it's so interesting because you're healing over your lifetime of experiences, known and unknown, conscious and unconscious. I love the phrase body mind. That is exactly the consciousness that we work with, with yoga nidra. You're working with the body mind, the sensations of the body. And that's why I will ask you questions like, does this feel complete for today? Because it's ultimately your decision when it's time to come back. <laughs> it's not really up to me. And that's also why I like yoga nidra or the other modalities I've experienced with. I really love placing healing in the hands of the client. Because again, again I, I believe inherently that you know how to heal yourself better than I ever could. So why would I interfere with that process? I think it's so cool that you mentioned that the color red has that uh, symbolism or that correlation between the youngest years, because whenever I have gone back um, with, you know, help or, you know, to just kind of peel back layers and see when things first started, it, it was very young that that sense of, I don't know, helplessness in a way uh of being unprotected not being secure um and tapping into a very offensive posture uh to counteract that i feel like that happened very early and so uh, around five is when i went in a previous session i had walked back peeled back 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 when did i first feel uh, insecure, like I did not have a sense of home or, or I was unprotected. And so, yeah, it goes back, goes back to that, that, that era. So I think that's really cool that you were able to, you know, pinpoint the color correlation, even colors are so cool. They are. Colors are very cool. I think it's so important that, you know, I'm not really projecting uh, my own beliefs on your session. It's really kind of like a sixth sense that I got as you told it back just now. It was, oh, I, and this is interesting. I was smelling it. <laughs> I was smelling the genie and it just smelled like a root chakra smells to me. <laughs> How weird is that? <laughs> but 
that's how I knew, oh, that's, that's why the genie, or that's why I believe the genie was read in this particular case. And doesn't really matter what I think. At the end of the day, this is just a thought that I am having. Happy to share with you because we're just chatting about this session. But ultimately, my beliefs on anything, including colors, are irrelevant if you have a different one. Yours would always supersede mine. Uh, sometimes I feel that there are uh, practitioners out there that know better than, and I find that to be a very unhealthy space for a healer and client to be in. Uh, I really, I really believe in modalities that emphasize, again, the inherent ability of the client. I think that's beautiful. And I appreciate your uh, stance on that because I hold a similar viewpoint when it comes to dream interpretation. And a lot of the people that um, I look up to most um, they are ones who don't uh, hold some type of dream symbol book as the Bible to tell you what meaning to give to that symbol. Um, it's all about, you know, what does color red mean to you? What does, whenever uh, there was a dream recently that someone told me about a tomato, like, okay, what does the tomato mean to you? I don't like tomatoes, but she loves them. And she had some in her refrigerator. And so it has like a completely different meaning to her than it would to me. And so I, I love that. And um, I've talked about how, where I base my technique off of Robert A. Johnson's um, book, Inner Work. And it's all about uh, giving that power you know, it was never the practitioners to begin with, you know, it's all about giving you as the dreamer, the power to interpret your own dreams, because that's, that's where a lot of the magic happens. Now, it's really cool, though, someone who gives their um, viewpoint from the outside, it can really resonate and be like, yes, like, wow, it just adds an extra layer of confirmation, uh, like an aha, wow, I didn't think about that, but it, it feels true. And so I, I appreciate your, your insights. So let's talk about you, Megan. What first uh, prompted you or propelled you on to, I guess, what we like to call your, your path, your spiritual journey? What was your awakening? Right. I know. I, it's so it's so fascinating because I think I'm still in the middle of it, right? Always a work in progress and um, not about the destination. You know, the journey is kind of that destination. But, um, you know, I went through a bunch of, you know, death by a thousand cuts, you know, across, across the years of my adolescence and early adulthood and, um, you know, kind of ended up in a really dark place. Uh, I was on psychiatric medication. I had a lot of diagnoses, um, you know, social anxiety, bipolar disorder with major depression. I ended up at, you know, a psychiatric care facility in Johns Hopkins Hospital for, um, for diagnosis, you know, for mental illness and diagnosis. And I met with a world-renowned physician who said, yeah, you definitely have a atypical bipolar disorder um, where you're just basically depressed, but medication, you don't respond to medication. And 
you might need to do deep brain stimulation and hey, just go, why don't you try meditation and be a part of an NIH study, National Institutes of Health study. And I couldn't leave my house. I was drinking a lot um, just to kind of cope, just to try to cope with just day-to-day -day life. I couldn't really leave my house or hold down a job. I was in a really dark place for a lot of time. And eventually um, it really just came down to, I don't want to live like this anymore. And, and ultimately what I thought was, I just don't want to live. And um, I had a lot of suicidal ideation and, and how I wanted to off myself and uh, how to do it without hurting my mom. <laughs> because I just love her so much. Um, and so what ended up happening was I had met this woman who did yoga nidra. And I remember when I saw her that she had a glow to her. And I wasn't very conscious to the fact that I could perceive energy because it had been so many years of disowning that and disowning my own truth and just I guess nobody sees this so I guess let's just pretend it's not happening kind of thing and so I started getting meditation with her I started going to see her twice a week every week and within a period of months my entire life changed and it went from I just wanted to die to the magic of the universe and was able to stop drinking altogether and uh, go off all of the medication very slowly and with doctor supervision. Um, and that was all in, you know, 2012 and uh, over that year and a half or so. And from there, from that meditation jump off point, I got to a very, I don't want to say sick place with it, but I became so acutely aware of my surroundings and the energies of everybody around me that I could, I could hear their spirits, their loved ones. I became a medium for a period of time and I could walk up to strangers and just say, Hey, your loved one is here. Just at the grocery store, the dentist office, my dentist office loves me now. And I would just be like, Hey, this person's with you today. And there were a lot of tears out in public and people kept calling me like uh, Teresa Caputo, like what, the Long Island medium, you know, and I really was quite clear. I was a very, very clear beacon for a period of time in that realm. And I just was floating around with like my head detached from my body. Just let me help the world and um, not be fully self-supporting or take care of myself and, um, you know, see all my problems are away because I want to live again. And that was, that became sick too. And that's where I, I started going into a, a prolonged period of it's very important for me to be grounded and to honor the process of others around me. And that's why I'm in such a deep place of the client is more important than me. And I started having uh, clients that would come in uh, rep repeatedly, you know, every year, every six months, and they would come and they'd ask for, what are my spirit guides telling me? What, is my, what are my loved ones telling me? And it would be the same message. And I would just tell them, why are you paying me for this? I was very confused. I was, don't pay me. You, you need to go read this book. And I've told you that three times now, or you need to go get that surgery. And I've told you that three times now. And not that I was more knowledgeable, but that I had noticed some of my clients were in the same pattern. I don't want to say rut. Nobody's in a rut, but they were in, in the same pattern. I just felt like I wasn't helpful in the way that I wanted to be helpful. And 
I felt maybe it's because I need to do more work on me. So I think it was 2017 where I began a lengthy process of the Eden Energy Medicine Practitioner Program. And it is a four-year program. Uh, and I've been through two years and going through my certification process now and my board certification uh, to be a... Um, you know, not, I don't want to say healer, but just a facilitator of, uh, of a client's energies. And we study a lot of different energy systems like the chakras, the aura, um, the, the Chinese meridians, which is what acupuncture is based off of, um, a lot of nine different energy systems, how these interplay with each other, how to test the client to see what their energy patterns are doing and how to help the client with homework or what have you correct uh, and make the best possible, um, make spectacular the, their own energy systems. And so ultimately, um, that's where I've been the past couple of years. And I had along the pathway kind of come into contact with Courtney and I've learned other modalities just on the side, just for, I don't want to say for fun, but just for my own learning, just, I like to embrace learning. Why not? And so that kind of led me to meet you. Really, uh, I don't know if I would consider myself a, a hypnotherapist or that I want to take on that as an undertaking. Um, I do a lot of meditation. Uh, I'm really into modalities, like I said, and something that I'm doing right now is interviewing other practitioners uh, about what their modalities are, how they developed them, and what they do for others. Um, the role of the client versus practitioner and their own ethics surrounding the modality itself. And I just find that so fascinating when healers heal themselves and help others heal themselves. It's just really cool when things can come together and work so beautifully. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And you know what I also love about, you know, healers kind of owning themselves is, that somebody isn't everything for everyone, you know, like this is kind of where I'm at. You know, I don't think I'm the best hypnotherapist in the world or anything like that, but I do feel like I have um, the ability to conduct yoga nidra sessions uh, and hold the space for someone really undergoing a powerful and profound healing and altering process. So yes, I'm very comfortable doing that. And of course, growing my toolkit and growing my own capabilities is wonderful. But at a certain point, there have been clients in my past where I really refer them to other practitioners. I, you know, uh, I had a client a couple of years ago come to me and it was very clear he, he really needed more frequent hands-on sessions that I wasn't currently doing. I was I want to say actually early on in the second year of my certification program. And it was clear that just where he was at in his own life path and journey, he needed a different, he needed a more advanced practitioner than I could be. And so I, and he lived in California. Um, so I literally recommended somebody more advanced than me because he needed it. And at the end of the day, I would rather someone get into the correct hands than, you know, suffer my, <laughs> suffer my capabilities, you know, if that's not what's being called for. And so I just, I hope to always embrace and embody a spirit of humbleness, like, you know, humility to know where my limits are and not violate or cross those uh, for my clients.
So the uh, Eden Energy uh, program being four years long, that's a considerable um, investment of time. Whereas a lot of other things promise a whole lot with a much shorter, some certifications you can get in a weekend or via an online workshop. So in order for you to have signed up for this four-year commitment uh, with this goal in mind, did you, how did you first get turned on to Eden Energy Medicine? And did you have just like a coming to Jesus moment where you like totally experienced what Eden Energy is all about and wanted that for others? Right. Sure. So what ended up happening was I had a client and she, and I had given her a reading and we were talking about certain things. Um, she had a very rare medical diagnosis and I, she was just asking me, Hey, what is, what is, what are my guides telling me? What is going on here? And, um, what I do is, uh, during her session, she just, I kind of gave her some thoughts on it. Um, just trying to keep very vague here. I think it's kind of important while she would never find out. No, like nobody would know that I'm talking about her. I just feel like it's so necessary to be as vague as possible to respect her. Um, since I haven't chatted with her about this, uh, about this podcast, but she started saying, oh, I've gotten that advice from my other healer is what is how she referred to her other healer. She, uh, you know, I mentioned, I think you should do something around the lines of this physically with your body. This is kind of the, the, the sense I'm getting from your guides are saying to do this particular exercise. And she said, oh, my healer told me that. And I heard in my ear from my guides, ask her about that healer. So of course I finished our session, uh, made sure to get through everything. And, you know, she was preparing to leave. This was before, you know, COVID. So we were in person. Uh, she said, I just asked her, I just said, Hey, you know how you mentioned that healer and that exercise? Could I have their number? Are they local? What are they about? And so then I went to go see her and within three or four sessions, it was clear that this was a modality that I truly believed in. Whatever, whatever was happening in my session, I knew fundamentally it was tailored to my unique needs and that it would be helpful. And she just told me, I got my certification. I'm in the fourth year of this, uh, you know, program. Why don't the first class is starting in two months in this area. Why don't you go? I was like, well, I don't know. That's a pretty huge undertaking. You know, <laughs> like, like you said, it's four years. That's a long time. But after two years, you're certified. Uh, and once you pass the board, of course, but uh, you're certified after two, and then it just, be, you become more advanced. And, and it's, it, I don't want to say optional, but at that point, um, you're at least certified and know all of the initial protocols and everything. So that's how I knew. I, it was really almost like a... I think you maybe have used this where it was kind of like I was in a river and it was like only one stone is showing up in front of me or one leap pad is showing up in front of me at a time. And it's just up to me to take the next right action. And I really felt that this was necessary because I, I agree that there are certain modalities that you can get a certification in eight hours. And while that doesn't diminish the powerfulness of those modalities, I really felt that 
the examination of ethics is very important in the Eden Energy Medicine program, where we are reading textbooks, like almost like medical textbooks about how to be ethical. Um, and I find that to be essential. And when I come across, not that I come across a lot of them, but when I come across um, healers that might not have the belief of the client, I know for myself that that isn't correct. And I've seen people work with practitioners for years and get to a very disempowered state. And they're not even aware that they've given up their own sense of power to this healer, which I don't mean to put in quotations because I believe fundamentally all of us are healers, right? Anybody. But if we're taking it to a place where we're taking power away from someone else, I personally don't, I just don't drive with that. And that's why one thing I feel very strongly about is helping other clients who are seeking these modalities know that the whole point of going into this realm and going to healers is so that way we are, don't have the learned helplessness that you talked about. It's to move beyond a space of learned helplessness and really be able to empower ourselves to heal ourselves. I love that. In fact, the, I've realized that the kind of person that I get drawn to are uh, people who consistently point you back to yourself. And those are the kind of people I enjoy having in my, my circle. Um, I actually asked, you know, the Akashic Records about uh, something and it brought up Courtney as an example of how it is to be in, the, in this world where uh, she does not create like a need for herself in other people. So like the whole, like when I entitled that entry, it was, you know, selling ice to a, an Eskimo. So you're not trying to, because we're told in this very commercialized place that we need to instill in others like an addiction of some sort that they somehow need us or whatever the product is that we're trying to offer that they need us and, and try to manuf manufacture this need where there really wasn't before. Oh, well, I didn't realize I needed you so badly or I that this, and that instead we are, anytime we can point people back to themselves and empower people, that's not going to minimize our gifts uh, and what we can contribute to others in their healing process. It just takes us all on the path forward together where we're not, um, like I said, trying to sell ourselves. <laughs> I completely agree. I really could not have said that better myself. And I, I agree. I, that's what I really love about Courtney too, is that she really is about, I mean, honestly, her, her whole hypnosis class is called the soul empowering hypnosis class, right? Like that yeah. fundamentally aligns with what I believe. And that is one of the reasons why I feel I was always drawn to her. And it's going to be so exciting to see where she takes this soul empowering workshop. And I'm so excited. Um, it's going to be quite a spectacle, a spectacular spectacle. How about that, Michelle? <laughs> so I had, um, I had reached out to her for permission to air um, uh, one of my hypnosis sessions. Um, 
as a client, um, I, but I wanted to share it with listeners and I wanted to clear it with her first as to if I could include some of the, I didn't know if she would let me include any of the intro or the deepener or anything like that. Um, Cause maybe it would be copyrighted, you know, or something like that trademarked. I was like, I won't include all of it because that's kind of boring anyway for someone just listening on the outside, but there might be certain questions, you know, in between that lead from one thing to another. And she was like, oh, share however much or whatever. Like she was totally not scared or protective or trying to hoard her little bit of information. She was like, oh yeah, sure. Just whatever, all of it, you know, whatever you think is going to be useful. And so that's the kind of people I, I love to have on my team. And that's one of the things I have enjoyed about the uh, Akashic Records practice is that whenever you learn to read your own records, it's a matter of consistently asking questions to God, the source, the universe, and writing down what comes through. And you realize that you're loved and that that connection is there and you don't have to go through somebody else. Um, sometimes it is really cool though to have those in-between sessions with someone else when someone else can come in with a different set of strengths or talents and kind of kind of come beside you and give you that extra umph, that stamp like, yes, you're on the right path. Well, I appreciate you being vulnerable and authentic to share your story. Um, I don't know. It's like you were saying my story. <laughs> it has been uh, so much the same, including the uh, alcohol and things like that. Just, you know, I'd come home, go straight to, you know, the alcohol bottles for myself. Um, my favorite was... Uh, Jack Daniels and some Dr. Pepper. <laughs> oh, I was always Jack Splash of Coke. That's interesting, you know, but really anything, you know, drink of choice was more, <laughs> but I'm so happy to have exactly. that whole chapter behind me, you know, hopefully, you know, one day at a time, of course, I just feel so blessed that I don't have to you know, in, in, you know, ingest or be a different person other than I am every single day. I can just be me, you know, high or low or what have you, or in between, uh, just allowing the, the course of life to take its path. So. I listened to the, uh, Luke story podcast, the lifestyles podcast, and he, um, he's been, uh, sober for, I think 24 years now. He just reached some milestone. And, uh, but the thing is, is that he, looking back, he's thankful for alcohol uh, and for the ability to numb because he said that in a way it saved his life. Um, and so I think, honestly, I think it served kind of like the same thing. It was a space holder for me. Yeah, to, to be able to numb out to the pain and what was going on because I'm, I'm still here now and I'm to a point where I don't feel the need to numb every day. So in a way, it's, it can be looked at as 
evil or the devil, or you could also look at it as something that served a definitive purpose during that time. And so I kind of look at it that way as well now, but yeah. And then I actually did, I did the, the TMS. Uh, I went and had that done, uh, the, the stimulation and that was really expensive, did not have insurance and went through all of the sessions at the end, still super depressed. And they were like, oh, wow, yes, you have a treatment resistant depression. So, and they were like, just uh, sign up for another, pay for another whole session. And I'm like, no, like there's no, cause there's no guarantee of where I spent all this money and got into debt and no, I just, I'm not going to go through all that just for, and in a way it was just, um, reinforcing the feeling that I was defective. Every time I would go sit in that chair, I would hear the click, 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 click of the magnets doing their thing and nothing. It was just so crazy. But yeah, so my life looks a lot different than it did even just, you know, two years ago. So I've, um, I'm really thankful for a lot of the tools that have come into my path and a lot of the people that I've since come to know. And, um, you know, I started this podcast so that I could have great conversations because I am so much an introvert and I don't know that people actually recognize that or can see that because you know you have a podcast where you're putting yourself out there but at the same time I it feels different because it's just me and you talking and um, I just I feel like it gives me that permission to have these conversations whereas I would feel really I probably shouldn't but I would feel like I was taking up someone's time or let's just sit down and let's have a talk for an hour on this certain day. But if you make it into for a podcast, oh yeah, let's get it scheduled because it's a real thing and, and whatever. So I have loved the, what the podcast has made possible. It's really neat. Uh, you signed up for the four-year Eden um, medicine program. Okay, so what got me cued in that something was different about Eden energy medicine, uh, because there are so many modalities out there, and you don't even know until you get into a, a spiritual space, like everyone has their own technique, and there's all these things, and you're like, okay, after a while, it kind of starts to seem like just the same reiteration of some of the basic principles and people just put their spin on it or they, you know, put their branding on it. And all of a sudden, Ooh, they own a certain corner of the spiritual space, whatever. But what I got cued on that something was different is that they were talking about a point of gosh, the assemblage point. Is that okay? I knew it started with an A. Yes. So an assemblage assemblage point. point. Yes. Yes. That's one thing that we we did learn in year two. And you have to apply. Once you get through the first two years, you have to apply to be granted acceptance into the year. 
uh, programs. This is like an inter internationally known and recognized modality. And that's something that drew me to it. You know, it had a lot of, I come from a very math and science oriented family. You know, a lot of computer science in my family, a lot of coding and things like that. And so to have, you know, an internationally recognized textbook uh, with a preface by Carolyn Miss, who's, you know, an internationally renowned uh, medical intuitive. And just to have a lot of different people who I believe are very highly renowned in the field of medical intuition and energy medicine to really back this program is really why I went into it. And the assemblage point in particular is a point through which it's, you know, kind of located maybe a couple feet in front of the body. And it's a point through which, you know, it, it helps bring in a lot of different life experiences and kind of the lens through which you view your world. So over uh, time or after a particular, like, so I can, just because of me, I'm not saying that in this class that everybody would leave uh, being able to see the point. It's a very particular, it's almost kind of like a lens that you have to, I, I put on in order to kind of see where everyone's is. I want to make it very clear that I don't do that without permission from whoever it is I'm working with. I'm not just walking down the street like, oh, what is that person's assemblage point looking like? It's almost like looking at somebody in their underwear, you know, like how is that? I wouldn't do that. If I had x-ray vision, I wouldn't walk around taking x-rays of everybody, right? I just don't think that is ethical. And, I, and I, I used to, and I want to make that clear, I didn't know what the assemblage point was six, seven years ago, but six, seven years ago, I was absolutely doing that, mostly because I was so terrified that I was wrong or crazy. I didn't believe in my own gifts, and I didn't have an off switch or uh, didn't realize that an off switch was necessary. And it's not really necessarily off, it's just kind of like I make it fuzzy. You know how we have backgrounds and Zoom mm -hmm. meetings where you kind of make the background fuzzy? I do that on purpose just because it can be information overload sometimes. Um, and my point is that the assemblage point is just that lens through which everybody looks at it. You know, after a big event, big trauma, something like that, that assemblage point can shift. You know, it's not located right in front of your sternum, about two feet out. It can kind of be lower or higher. Um, celebrities, for instance, theirs is traditionally higher, is how I've seen it, is how I perceive it. Just higher. I'm not sure why. I don't know what it means. I just, celebrities have a higher one. <laughs> and um, people who are very sad, or it's it sometimes can be lower, or the point itself looks deflated. Instead of like a marble, it looks just deflated to me. Uh, so... Traditionally, this isn't a point that you as a as a practitioner that I would engage with or try to help fix or move or even sometimes it can shatter. Um, and if it shatters, there's a lot of protocol surrounding this point, but traditionally it's not accessed in a first session. It's mm -hmm. the relationship needs to be built between client and practitioner before going to this point, because it is such a uh, profound life-altering experience that the client needs to have built in, uh, you know, doing the hallmark or the energy protocols, really knowing their own internal body. So that way they can maintain the point in it's, I don't want to say correct, but let's just use that word lightly here, the correct location for the client. If we were to just put the point back or what have you where it should, again, let's, I'm using that S word very loosely. We just threw it back in the right spot, which 
we're not throwing it anywhere, but let's say we did that. The client could walk out of the door and it could be traumatic, like you said, uh, with the other energy practitioner that you had worked with. Uh, it could be traumatic to the client to have such a profound alteration of perspective and it most likely would not hold. So it's just interesting. And that, that uh, point can also move on its own, you know, by having a amazing spiritual experience, you know, just awakening to, you know, the majesticism, the spectacularness of the earth. Uh, it can change on its own. It doesn't need a practitioner's intervention. Um, sometimes it can, it can be helpful to do that. Uh, but that's the assemblage point. Uh, and that's just one of many, many things that we've learned. That's not even its own energy system, although I think it could be treated as such. It is a very powerful point. I don't want us to leave without having mentioned you, you, already referred to earlier in our conversation about the interviews that you're doing with practitioners. And I am so excited to announce that you are going to be putting these uh, conversations together and publishing them, uh, distributing them as a podcast. And I loved the name of the podcast that you've given it. Tell us what that is. Sure, I'm calling it the Electric Love Podcast. And part of the reason for that is it's recording electrically uh, what people love. And uh, I do think that love is all there is, ultimately. It's just different shades, you know? So uh, I just thought, why not take what people are already doing and really conveying that via a podcast? And so I have conducted a few interviews of different people. People I've got you know, Reiki specialist, somebody who does emotions code. I've got a lot of chiropractors lined up because there's so many different modalities within the chiropractic family. And I'm really into that central nervous system. I think it, it's the basis of all there is. And uh, we'll see how it all unfolds. I'm really excited to also have Courtney on there. So uh, more will be revealed, as I like to say. And uh, yes, the Electric Love podcast, and it should be available by uh, in, the, in the next couple of months, really. So keep an eye out. I liked the whole idea of a emotions code like that to me right there. It just sucked me in. I have to know more about emotions code. I have never heard that before. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll, I've already conducted the interview, so it'll be on there. And I also found, find that particular modality to be so fascinating. Happy to put you in touch with uh, different practitioners. So it'll be a really fun learning experience for all of us. What I really am trying to embrace, and I think I've made that clear throughout even this time that we've had the opportunity to spend together is just how necessary it is for clients to be empowered. And that's the type of practitioner that I want to interview. So that way, my hope is other clients or potential clients can hear about these modalities. And if they are so inspired to explore them for themselves, they have a great practitioner to start with, or they can ask that practitioner for a recommendation, but ultimately to thine own self be true. I think that the client knows best. So Megan McHugh, I love how you go by Megan McHugh. It sounds so, so stylish, like a celebrity McHugh. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm still trying to find my own uh, nickname that will stick. <laughs> You know, it really wasn't a nickname that I came up with. You know, my last name is McQuiggan, Megan McQuiggan. But some of my friends in college were like, that's too long. We can't remember that. We're going to call you McHugh. And so I didn't really get a decision there. But then everybody just started calling me McHugh. And, you know, Megan is a relatively common name. So 
there were maybe three or four Megans just in my friend group during college. So we all had our own little Megan symbolism because if somebody said Megan, we'd all turn our heads. So it would just worked out best. And I just became known as Megan McHugh and that's what I go with and it just makes it easy for everybody, I think. And uh, it's fun. So it's joyful. Well, how can people find out more about you and follow what you're making in your own sandbox? Oh, I love that sandbox. That is what it is, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so I'm on Instagram, uh, Megan.McHugh, and uh, I'm going to be releasing more information there. And my website is www.meganmchugh.com. Uh, and more information there. And I'm obviously available to anyone who'd like help. So um, just want to... I want to be a conduit and be of maximum service. I love how in the Lifestylist podcast, Luke's story ends his pods asking his guests this question. So I'm including it in mine. Who have been three teachers or teachings in your life that you might share with our audience that they could go research and also learn from? I love that question too. I spent some time in meditation with this question. And ultimately, um, my, most, my most powerful teacher has been nature. And uh, I'd like to tell you about this experience that I had um, shortly after my mother died. I ended up in Yellowstone National Park out in Wyoming. And I was there with kind of an, an aunt, let's call her. And we stopped at this place in Yellow National Park and there was pine trees as far as the eye could see. And we were right in front of this beautiful, huge lake. And there were mountains, the biggest mountains I'd ever seen off into the distance. And as I, I just sat down and I said in my heart to the pine trees, I said, I would like to bring you a peace offering for what man has done to you. Uh, you know, deforestation and burning of the trees and everything, making paper unnecessarily. And the trees replied, if you would like to bring us a peace offering, be peace itself. And I said, I can't be peace itself. My mom is dead. And they said, look at us. We go through our own phases of life, but we act as one. If you look over here, there was a terrible lightning storm and this part of the forest is now the space where uh, new trees can grow. It's becoming the fertile soil for which new pine to grow. And over here, we have a healthy, lush forest um, housing lots of animals and creating its own ecosystem. But together we act as one. Be one among many, be the one with others, right? And I just looked at this mountain and I sighed and I said, why does it feel like the whole world is on my shoulders, <laughs> right? Like the pine wasn't listening to me. They were like, just be. And I was so angry. So I just turned to this mountain and I said, why does it feel like the world is on my shoulders? And the mountain replied, you're telling me kid, because it was covered in snow. And it said, I have to trust that the sun, my God, will melt the snow in accordance with what is right. I couldn't shrug my shoulders today if I wanted to, but I trust that the sun knows my pain and my struggles and will relieve me as it sees fit. And I was just so blown away by 
the mountain having tons and tons of snow on it and not moving at all. And I just said, how can I tell the world of your majesticism, maybe your spectacularness? And the mountain replied, you already are, be the mountain. And I just walked away from that experience and I just, I just asked the, pain, the pine, I just said, pine, can you take my pain? And the pine um, is known for being very healing and a transmuter of dampness and um, spiritually anyway. And the pine said that it has always taken all of my pain, whatever I was willing to give it. And, um, you know, keep going sapling. And I was just like, sapling? Like, look at that one. That one's brand new. And I was pointing to this little tiny tree in the distance. And it said, again, we operate as one. And I, I've always found, that was, I believe, in my experience, the first time I, I communed with nature. Uh, but I've had other experiences since then where I've communed with nature. And I have found nature to be a powerful, perhaps the most powerful teacher of all. Um, if I haven't made it clear, I believe that there is that still small voice within each of us where the authentic truth resides. And I feel that so long as we are willing to be quiet and sit with that truth, it will make all known. So I could, of course, mention the greats. I could tell you, go read Gandhi's autobiography. He's completely human and used to smoke and missed his father's death because he was making love to his wife. And he writes that in his, in his autobiography. But, and while I find those, te Mother Teresa, why, why find, while I find these people so amazing in their humanness, we are all human. And I believe in that, that, spark of the divine within that can just nurture us and allow us to help one another become one. Megan, I want to thank you so much for joining me in Sheffy's Sandbox. Much love to you and I can't wait to see what happens next in your journey. Thank you. It was great being here today.